Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Corinthians. And sometimes, uh, as I've mentioned over the decades, um, you get to those uncomfortable verses. And when you do topicals, not too many pastors are going to teach on this chapter right here today, because this is some uncomfortable stuff. But it's reality. It's reality, and it's how we can effectively run and operate a church, because uh, if we don't do that effectively, we're going to have chaos, as we'll see in our study this morning. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through, I think we made it through verse 4. So that's what we'll do again. We made it through verse 4. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in the body but present in the spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done so, who has who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for this time. And again, we just continue in our worship of you by surrendering our hearts and minds placing those things that are distractions at your throne right now. As your word says to do, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and help us to focus on these few moments in eternity as a fellowship, as an assembly of Bible-believing Christians that we might learn individually, uh, that we might learn as individual families, that we might learn something corporately. For your glory, Father, we want to be more like Jesus So I pray for the gift of teaching and that you will be glorified in and through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, Paul loves his spiritual children enough to tell them the truth. And that should be the love that a father has for his own children. And as we took note of last week, Paul looks at these believers, these young Christians, and his own children. Now, children can obviously be a challenge at times. And you've probably heard it said, or maybe you've even said it yourself. Hey, they're not my kid. Let them deal with it. But a father who's trying to be like the heavenly father needs to deal with these issues at hand and lay down a biblical standard for the family. And specifically for our topic this morning, for his children, or there will be total chaos within your home. So I want to encourage you dads, Um, to lay down the standard for your house, which should always go back to the Word of God. And it's important when you have meetings, family meetings, that you open the Bible and you show your children where in the Bible these things are taught. So it's not just do as I say, not as I do. I was raised in a family that was basically do as I say and not as I do. And that doesn't fly real well, especially with teenagers. And that's why I think many teenagers leave the church when they're in junior high. If you really do statistics, they leave in junior high mentally. They physically leave when they get out of the house. But mentally they check out. 
because what we do at home doesn't match what we do on Sunday morning. And so we need to make sure as adults that we're making sure that our walk matches our talk. So very, very important. We're going to see that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to lay down a biblical standard for his children in Corinth, and we get a tremendous benefit from it. Paul has been dealing with the flesh or carnal issues of the Corinthian church, and this morning he starts to give them practical insights on how to deal with a person within the body that is outwardly living their life in the flesh or in carnality. So before we get into some verses, let's look at some general topics. First of all, we see that the Holy Spirit is addressing the issue of fornication within the church. Fornication within the church. And let's remember that Corinth was the hub of sexual immorality. It was a seaport. They had a seaport mentality. Sex is not an issue, but rather something that is to be indulged in at every opportunity. So we are going to see that having premarital sex was not an issue in their culture. Now, when people say, you know, the Bible isn't relevant, it's archaic, it's chauvinistic, it's this, it's that, that's because they're not reading the Bible and learning what's happening in our culture today. What is happening? It's been happening in our culture since the 60s. Free love, free sex, and we have misery. What's also happening in our culture today, just due to statistics, the last time they did a census, which was just a, a year ago, there are more people now living together, living together in their 20s and 30s that actually identify as Christian, whether they are or not, that's between them and God, but they at least identify as Christian and they're living together and there's no problem with doing that. That's not good. So as we read the word here, this is very applicable. Now, when we see the word fornication, the New Testament is referring to any type of sexual activity outside of marriage institution of one genetic male and one genetic female given to us by God, which would include bisexuality, homosexuality, as well as bestiality. So when a person, Christian or not, says that sexual issues outside of marriage are not addressed in the Bible, maybe specifically New Testament, they need to be corrected and educated in this matter. Secondly, there was no embarrassment about this sexual situation because, unfortunately, it was accepted in the, in the Corinthians' culture. Is this happening today? Is the culture coming into the church and infecting the church? Absolutely. What should be taking place is the church, not this building, you as a church, we need to go out and affect our culture. If they don't see a difference between them and you, why would they want to come to church? Why would they want to have anything to do with the Bible? Why would they want to have anything to do with Christianity? You're no different than me. You swear, you do this, you do that. So what's the difference? And and that's a legitimate, a legitimate question that they might have. And so if that's happened in your life, you need to take that seriously and go, wow, what is the difference? Because they're watching your walk. They hear you talk and they want to know, does your walk match your talk? When it doesn't, what good is our Christianity? Now we all make mistakes, we all sin, so don't go down the road. I'm not going down any road. None of us will ever be perfect, but we should be coming more like Jesus each and every day. They should be seeing a difference in our lives. Very, very important. 
Because sexual issues has nothing to do with growing older. Maybe you heard this. Maybe you said this as a teenager. Maybe you heard this as a dad. Or maybe you've heard this as a grandfather. We have 14 grandchildren. They're getting up there. I'm sure we'll hear this one day. You just don't understand, Dad, Grandpa. You just don't understand. Things have changed. Our culture has changed. We said that in the 70s. Unfortunately, our culture has changed for the worse. And for many, this type of sexual behavior is not embarrassing. I used to ask couples when they would come up to me uh, in the lobby and they'd want to do premarital counseling. They'd say, hey, we're getting married. And, and I would say, okay, I have some basic questions for you. And I had a standard questions and I'd look at them and I'd go, are you, are you living together? Are you having sex outside of marriage? And the woman would look down typically um, she, she'd turn red, she'd look away, and the guy would look at me and go, oh no, oh no. He's <laughs> going, you are a liar. You're totally lying to me and you're lying to God. And no, we don't do counseling with those who are living together and having premarital sex. You need to separate, you need to do it the right way, God's way. And typically, they didn't come back. Very few did. Now if I ask couples that, I don't even ask it. They tell me. Oh, we're, well, you know, we're living together. We moved from California. We moved from here. We moved from there. And, you know, we're living together. And yeah, we want to make sure we do it right. Hello. You're already doing it wrong. So let us help you. And we want to help. We want to help. We don't bash, criticize, none of that nonsense. We want to help. But again, not too many of them want the help. They just want to do what they want to do. So this is very applicable for you. Again, as we're teaching, as I'm teaching this, don't look at this as the pastorate. The pastor. Oh, this is the pastor's responsibility. You're going to see as we go through these verses, it's our responsibility. It's the church's responsibility. And not just this issue, many issues as well, as we'll talk about next week as well. But it's very important that we get the bigger picture of this. The next thing that I notice in this chapter is that Paul is addressing the male and not the female. He only mentions the female in the first verse. This would obviously cause me to believe that this gal is not a believer. She's not a part of the church. So you have a believer having sex outside of marriage with an unbeliever. Again, does this ever happen today? Yes. It's called missionary dating. A believer will date an unbeliever and unfortunately get into that compromised place and start having sex and then maybe even possibly move in together. And it's like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is so important. Even in business transactions. You have to be very careful with business transactions. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? That's very applicable today, right? What fellowship has the riots to do with Jesus? Proclaiming they need a savior. Nothing. And what communion has light with darkness? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. I firmly believe, biblically, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. I do not see that in the scriptures. But we can become demon-oppressed. We can give ourselves to pornography, to prescription drugs, uh, to sex aside of marriage, to swearing, to cheating, to lying, to stealing. We can become oppressed. That's the flesh, and that's what Paul is dealing with here. So it's very, very practical. It's very applicable. So as we're going to see, once we go verse by verse through this chapter, Paul is addressing specifically a Christian believer within the body of Christ. The next general thing that I see 
is that Paul is judging this Christian. Yes, you can see and hear for yourself in verse 3. Actually, I have it highlighted. We'll get to it. Paul is definitely judging this person. Well, how can that be? I thought we were not supposed to judge anyone once we became a Christian. Well, as you study the scriptures, you will find exactly the opposite is true. The world would have you believe that we shouldn't judge, but the world does not follow after the teaching of the scriptures, but we as believers are supposed to. But they always bring up that verse where Jesus said, you shall not judge. Do you guys know where that verse is? Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. They'll bring this up like they know the Bible. So you want to get a Bible on your own time, not during work time, but you want to get a Bible and you want to open the chapter and you go, That's, I'm, I'm glad that you brought the Bible up. Let's talk about that and take them to the Word of God. Because you always want to find out what the context of the text is. It's easy to take a text out of context and that's exactly what they're doing. Maybe you've done that yourself before you were a believer. Maybe you said that. Or maybe you even said that as a Christian. So Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. There it is. We're not supposed to judge, right? Let's read the whole text. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And the word speck here is like a little splinter, just a tiny little piece of wood that's in the eye. But do not consider the plank in your own eye. So this is like a four by four by eight feet long. So as as you're looking at people, people are ducking and you're not sure why they're ducking because they know judgment's coming. This is Jesus telling us, giving us a principle here. Verse four, or how can you say to your brother, let remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. What does Jesus say to that Christian? Hypocrite. Oh, I thought that's just the five, the scribes and the Pharisees. No, that's us as Christians. We're hypocrites if we do that. What does he go on to say? First, remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So as we go into church discipline, and we're going to carry this on for a couple weeks probably so that you get the big picture of what's taking place in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 here, we need, need to realize this applies to me, it applies to you. We are called to judge, but we're not called to condemn. We are called to reconcile, to bring people back to Christ, as you'll see in a few verses here. In John 7, 24, stay in Matthew there. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So I need to be right with God first and foremost. I do. I need to be right with God. And then when I see a brother or a sister doing something that might not be right with God, then I pray, I search the scriptures, I then approach them in humility, not making the comments, but asking questions, first and foremost, with grace, with mercy, with love, with humility. And maybe say, you know, I I see something happening. Is this taking place? Is this going on? And you allow the person to explain what's taking place or going on in their lives because we can oftentimes be wrong. And then it's really bad for us. We got to eat our words. And so now looking back at Matthew here, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment, which means we need to be in prayer. 
We need to be in the Bible. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. So do you find yourself judging harshly other people, coworkers, family members, people driving down the road? You're going to be judged that way. So if you don't want to be judged that way, we got to transform the heart. Transform the heart and say, God, transform my wicked heart. You saved me. You spared me. You didn't ju- I deserve to be toast this morning after what I said. And yet you didn't do that. And with the measure you use, notice this, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Do you want grace and mercy? Or do you want harshness? If we judge with harshness, we're going to get harshness. If you judge with grace and mercy, it's basically going to come back with grace and mercy. So it's very important that we, we come with grace and mercy and humility whenever we go to someone to help restore them in their relationship with Christ or to bring them to Christ. You see, I think we can see clearly that we are called to judge, even those within the church, but again with grace and mercy, based upon righteous judgment. How do I know if it's righteous? Genesis to Revelation. It's easy to take verses out of context, and this is where churches get a bad rap, and this is where people get burned by a pastor or by an elder or deacon. They take things out of context. So if you're in the Bible and you sense that something's not right here, you go, you do your study, then you go to the pastorate and say, I don't believe you're reading the scriptures correctly. This is what I see. In humility and love, grace, and mercy. And then maybe you'll have to take an elder with you or a deacon with you. But you do it biblically. Again, we'll get into this more next week. And if you have to leave, then you have to leave. But at least you lovingly did your part to allow the Holy Spirit to maybe help you correct something that is not right in that church. That's biblical. That's sound. And then you don't leave with hurt and discontentment. So very important. How about if we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 and 15. We have to judge according to the scriptures and not what I personally feel is right or wrong. We all fall into this trap. We all have feelings, first impressions, um, and we can sometimes go on those and it ends up biting us. So be very careful. Here we see that Paul wrote to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith, who was like-minded this. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. So in other words, they're not together. They're they're different cities. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. We need boundaries. We need guidelines. We need the rules and the regulations. Otherwise, it'll be chaos in here. And I thank God that we always take things back to the word and we haven't had chaos over the last 18 years. Because we always go back to the word of God. Not on feelings and emotions. What does the word of God say? And it makes it so easy. And it makes it so loving. Don't don't get mad at me. This is what the Bible says. And so we want to make sure that we all do that. Notice that. How you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of the truth. Is this applicable to today? Well, I feel that it's okay to marry homosexuals. Is that biblically correct? No. Well, I feel it's okay to abuse prescription drugs. You know, I've had this pain and it was a year ago and 
You know, I'm just, I just need them now. I just can't get off. Is that okay? No. Well, you know, we really love each other and we're committed to each other. And, and it's okay that we're living together because we really love each other. Are you married? No. Is that biblically okay? No. If we don't go back to the truth on these issues, we have chaos within the church and we're ordaining women. Don't get mad at me. Just read your Bible. God is a God of order. This doesn't put women down. We're co-equal with Christ. But that's the biblical text. We don't ordain homosexuals. We don't marry homosexuals. We're not going to go down the road of inviting the trans up on the altar so that we can all worship the same God. No, we don't. But for God so loved the world, lest I be accused of hate or promoting hate. We don't hate anybody. God loves every single person, whether they're living together or not, whether they're trans or not, whether they're into pornography or not, or abusing drugs. It doesn't matter. We're approaching 8 billion people. God loves every single person. And this is where the church gets off. We start judging and ramming and humiliating and putting out certain classes of people. They're definitely not saved. They're never going to be saved. God hates those people. No, you haven't read your Bible. God loves them. He sent his son to die for them. We're called ambassadors for Christ for a reason. So it's for you and I to go out and try to reach them with the truth, not love them to hell. Okay, just do what you're doing. You're fine. You're fine. No, they're not fine. Were you fine before you got saved? Were you going to heaven before you got saved? I knew I wasn't. I knew I was going to hell. I was living like the devil. So I appreciated somebody coming to me with the truth that got me saved. And now, for 43 years, I've known on my last breath, I'm stepping into heaven. I know that because the Bible says that. Not a feeling, not a burning in my bosom from a bad burrito. The Word of God says that. The Word of God says that. Very important. You see, we could reference many scriptures about this subject of judgment, but let's wrap this general overview with this scripture from Peter who warned the saints years after the Lord's death and resurrection in 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the world. Is that what it says? Yeah. House of God. House of God. Who's the house of God? Feel free to raise your hand. It's not a building. Let's judge this building. Let's burn it. No, it's not the building. It's you as a believer. It's me as a believer. Judgment begins at the house of God. And it begins with us first. We'll be the end of those who who do not obey the gospel of God. Eternal damnation. And, And if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your savior, we don't want you to go down that road. We want you to have a relationship with God. Right here, right now, God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. You can have a personal relationship with him and you can spend eternity with him. But it's your free will. If you don't want it, Don't ever blame God sending you to hell. He doesn't send anybody to hell. You just heard the gospel. You can receive Jesus as your savior and have that guaranteed eternal life with him. But it's free will. It's your choice. So and so important. So what we're talking about this morning is not an option of the pastorate and it is not an option for you as a fellow believer. This chapter is one of the many examples for us to follow after so that the family as well as the church family might be healthy and strong having the ability to reconcile a believer as well as an unbeliever to Jesus. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, we've got to get this out there. Otherwise, we might have a bunch of loose cannons. And we haven't had that around here, and we're not going to have that around here. 
We're going to do things with love, grace, and mercy as we have for 18 years as a fellowship. We're going to continue to do that. But we have to take a stand for the truth. We have to. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Quarrel. Don't argue with other people. Take them the gospel. But be gentle to all. Able to teach. Patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So very important, a servant of the Lord. Many times I think women think, well, that's just for the pastorate or that's just for the guys. No, no, no. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, female, you're a servant of the Lord. You're a servant of the Lord, and this is for you. This is for every male. This is for every female. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so it's God who grants the repentance, not me, so they may know the truth. It's not a matter of, well, that's your truth and I have my truth. Let's read the Bible and find out what the truth is. And then as we read the Bible, not taking it out of context, but doing cross-referencing, we find out, okay, that is the truth. We shouldn't be living together. We shouldn't be having sex before marriage. That That is absolute truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, by the devil, to do his will. And what's the will of the enemy? Steal, kill, and destroy. But what does he do before that? His number one tactic, deception. Deception. He gets us to believe that we're okay. It's okay to do that. Nobody will ever know. It's okay. It's okay. Deception is the tactic, and then he'll steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to be aware of what's going on so that we don't become deceived. All right, back in Corinthians. Let's get into it now. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. That's pretty gross. That's a sad commentary. Of the first century church. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have said, oh, I wish I could have been part of the first century church. Here's the first century church for you. It is commonly, or actually, or completely reported. How would you like to be a member of that church? Yeah, you're the church of the sexually immoral people. Is it not a matter of, it's not a matter of gospel or misinformation, but rather, the situation is obviously true. And what is the situation? That a man is having sexual relationships with his mother, or most likely a stepmom. In other words, uh, dad and mom were married, had Jim, Jim grew up, uh, mom died, dad got remarried, a few years later, dad died. So now I'm having sex with my stepmom. That's most likely what has taken place. Wouldn't argue about it, but what we can look at, and what's most important, is that even though they're in Corinth, a sexually active city, this was not even common practice for the unbeliever. Notice what it says. And such, in the middle of verse 5, and such, such sexually Immoral, immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. Guys, even unbelievers can look at us and know, you know, I'm not a believer, I haven't read the Bible, but I don't think you should be doing that. They know that. And we're surprised when they call us out on it. Here the word of God says, don't do it. Don't do it. Now we have definite scriptures that we can go back to and say, don't do it. He goes on to say that a man shall have his father's wife. Verse 2, and you are puffed up. Puffed up means to inflate. Proud. Hey, we're in Corinth. We're sexually active. 
and, I, and I'm having sex with my stepmom. Wow, you're so cool. Wow, bring, it to, bring her to church. Maybe she'll get saved. Who knows what they were thinking. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. The word mourn means to grieve. That he who has done, those five words there means to practice, perform repeatedly, or habitually. We've all sinned this past week. Everyone in this room has sinned. So that's not what's being addressed here. It's willful disobedience. Willful disobedience, habitually. Has done this deed might be taken away from among you. That's pretty strong words. Taken away from among you? That's very strong. You see, they were not grieved about what the world considered wrong, but were rejoicing in what they were allowing as a church. You see, it's one thing when the world is influenced and impacted by the church. Uh, Colby, you want to throw that one up there? And it's quite another when the church is influenced or impacted by the world. Think about that, guys. Is the church being infected by the world? Marrying homosexuals is coming within the church. Ordaining trans is coming within the church. Living together is acceptable within the church. Pornography is acceptable within the church. Abusing prescription drugs is acceptable within the church. Gambling is acceptable in the church. Oh, I'm going to move to Ohio and take a shot so I can get in the lottery for a million dollars over the next five weeks. There's a spiritual deception that has come upon this world that if you're not seeing it, you need to be praying a little bit more that your eyes might be open to what is taking place in this world. Fear and control, manipulation, manipulation. Fear and control and manipulation is devastating what is taking place in this world. We have to impact the world and not allow the world to infect the church. You see, the church should never come down to the world's moral standards. The church is supposed to be the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. We're to be the salt of the earth. The light that draws mankind into a desire to know about the light. The Christians, though, found themselves bragging about their liberality or their freedom in Christ, and it's still happening today. Christians will brag about their liberality. Well, I I can do this because I'm free in Christ. I'm born again. I'm saved. That doesn't, doesn't justify sin. Now, someone might ask, isn't God's love for everyone? Answer, God's love is for absolutely for everyone. He is accepting every sinner just where they're at. But God's love does not expect us to stay at that spot. Just as a parent, you don't expect your child to remain a two-year-old. You know, when they're 16 and they're mentally capable of 16, you don't say, oh, that's really good. You're acting like a four-year-old. You're not going to be saying that. Well, why do we change it in Christianity? Well, God's okay with this. If we claim to God as sinners in need of a Savior, and now that's that we're saved, we still need a great physician to constantly evaluate our hearts and give us the proper prescription found in his word. But unfortunately, there is liberality coming within the church today that is not new. It's not new. We're reading it 2,000 years ago. It's not new. It's just repackaged for our modern times. This is 2021. Come on. Get off it, Pastor. You don't know what you're talking about. The perfect example of this is God's covenant with mankind after the flood. His covenant was a rainbow that we remind him of his promise towards mankind. You'll find that in Genesis chapter 9, 13 through 15. Now, the homosexual community has taken God's symbol of his promise to mankind and has implemented the rainbow for their symbol or recognition of their movement. You see, the forces of darkness love to take God's pure symbols 
and twist their original intent. The enemy loves that. So we have to be aware of that. You see, the world boasts about the temporal stance in this world because of the, of the eternal stance, instead of the eternal stance of the word. And Paul is going to give us a proper way of dealing with the stance of the world in verse 3. For indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged. I have that word judged highlighted. Judged. We've covered it. You can get hundreds of scriptures that talk about judging that we need to judge. And though I were present, him who has done so, who has so done this deed. You see, Paul knows the word and he knows the difference between right and wrong. This situation is not a gray area. Uh, with our oldest son, when he was a teenager, we would sit down with the word of God, we'd open the word of God, we'd have meetings. And I would explain the Bible and I'd explain where we're heading as a Christian family. And I'd say, here's the black my- marble. That's the word of God. It tells us what to do. Here's the white marble. Uh, This is the world, and this is what the world wants you to do. There's just a black marble and a gray marble, and after 15, 20 minutes, a half hour, I'd say, so now what do you want to do? And he'd go, well, I like the gray marble. There is no gray marble on the table. There's a black marble and a white marble. And then he would start to argue and try to convince me that there was a gray marble. There's no gray marble. But we do that as Christians, even in our own minds. We can justify certain things because it's a gray area. It's not gray. You see, Paul judged this man and the whole church for that matter. Again, think about this. He's not, as he said to the pastor, hey, you pastor, get your act together. Do you see this in any of the verses? I don't see it in any verses. So who's Paul talking to? The church. The church. All of us. Not just pastors. All of us. So we all have to be loving, we all have to be merciful, we all have to be gracious, we all have to be non-judgmental, but yet we do have to judge. And as we go forth with grace and mercy and love and humility, trying to reconcile someone, not bash them, but trying to reconcile someone, then we have a healthy church like we have now, we've had for the last 18 years. This stuff works when you do it, in order. It really does. But you have to do it in order. And again, we'll talk more about that next week. Verse 4, as we get ready to wrap it up. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice this. Paul comes to the church in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not in his name, not in the name of Calvary Chapel. He comes in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus. Notice again, Very important, as we look to John chapter 8, and we'll finish it up with these verses. Jesus loves the sinner, but will not condone the sin. We see it over and over and over again in the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 8, the religious elite set Jesus up. They had a man go have sex with a prostitute, I believe she was a prostitute. Scriptures don't exactly say that, but I think it's pretty obvious to see that, and you'll see why. While they were having sex, they bust into the room. They take the woman, and they take her to Jesus. Now, according to the Word of God, the Old Testament, which they had at the time, if that was happening, if adultery was happening, or fornication, sex outside of marriage, the male and the female were to be brought and judged and condemned. So we know it's a setup, because there's no male. It's just the female. And they bring the female to Jesus. They say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. How did they know that? That's kind of interesting. But anyways, she's caught in the act of adultery. And the word says she should be stoned. What do you say? 
And so Jesus, most of you know the scriptures, but if you don't, you could check it out. It's in John chapter 8. He bends down, he starts to write in the sand or the roadway or whatever material was there. What was he writing? Who knows? But he was writing. And he finally got up and he said, hey, any of you that haven't sinned, feel free to throw the first stone. You all got it together? Feel free. Modern language. You all got it together? Feel free. And it says that they started dropping the stones from the eldest to the youngest. The youngest were still ready. But once they saw the older people start dropping their stones, they realized, oh, wow. If they're willing to admit they've sinned, shouldn't I? So you old people, you have a responsibility in the flock, a very big responsibility to show the next generation how to have grace and mercy. So John chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, this is an endearing term right here, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, which obviously meant she had to look around. She had to look around. No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now here's where you can get some just practical insight. That's impossible. That's impossible. She sinned later in the day. Jesus knows we're sinners. So I have to look at this and go, she was most likely a prostitute and Jesus zeroed in on her sin. Stop doing that. Go and sin no more. You've been spared. And that's the way God deals with us in our lives. We have specific sins. He brings them to light and he instructs us, you're forgiven. Don't do that anymore. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit so that you don't do that anymore. And the Holy Spirit will give us strength to get us through that area, whatever might be happening in our lives. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, even these uncomfortable verses. They're hard verses. They're verses that most of us don't want to deal with. We don't want to deal with other people's messes. We don't want to deal with other people's bad decisions. We make enough problems for ourselves, let alone getting involved with somebody else's problems. So we usually shy away from that. But Father, according to your word, we shouldn't. If we really love them, if we really care for them, we'll express that in humility and love and grace and mercy and going and trying to help reconcile them to you, Father. So Lord, as we go over this chapter and and try to implement these things into our lives, maybe for someone for the very first time, for many of us, we've, we've had to do this over and over. But it's for grace and mercy. It's for reconciliation. It's not for self-righteousness, that's for sure. It's just for helping someone get right with you, Father. So Lord, give us wisdom and discernment. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that will implement these truths into our lives and to learn how to truly walk as a Bible-believing Christian. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Let's stand, guys. God bless you. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, we are having a family fellowship from 4 to 6 o'clock. And so it's on our campus in the back. We've rented a water slide. Bring meat to grill, size to share, and clothes to get soaked. And so 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and basically the family fellowship is for anyone, single parent or married, that has children 18 years and younger, 18 years and younger. So come on out, guys. That's where you're going to meet people and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. God bless you. If you need any prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys.
Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.